Hello, is this working? All right. Hello, folks. Um, good Friday evening, uh, depending on where you are. Uh, from the McDowell kitchen. It's been a little bit uh, since I've been around. I, I did a lot of field work in Tucson, and I'm still sort of sorting things out. And um, I've been spending the, the week doing some mapping of token engineering and understanding sort of crypto economics and how that works with blockchain and automated smart contract governance. Um, so that's uh, something that's been on my mind lately. And uh, so tonight I, I wanted to uh, share with you guys, I did uh, an interview uh, midweek with my friend Lynn in, who's based in Texas and we go way back. Um, and she has a podcast called Social Impact Podcast, and it's usually audio, but I had some uh, I had uh, some slides to share, so we ended up doing it as a video call, and uh, I just edited in my slides this afternoon, and I thought I might share it with you guys as a live stream tonight. Um, so it's a short one. It's only half an hour, but I think it's kind of um, short and punchy <laughs> for people. So if you have friends who are like, I'm not listening to a three-hour video, like perhaps this half-hour one uh, will will help. And the focus is really on this idea of school choice and um, the, the voucher programs and how that's going to play into the future of work and digital identity and social impact finance. So a lot packaged up in half an hour. So I'm going to see if I can get this started. I'm, I've, I haven't tried to sort of stream a pre-recorded video from a file before. The last time I did it on my desktop and, and I think I had some annoying feedback there. So um, I'm going to try this and see how it works. So let's this is Social Impact. I'm your host, Lynn Davenport. I'm here with my friend, very good friend, Allison McDowell. And Allison runs Wrench in the Gears. That's her blog where she's been researching what started out as education research and then has morphed into what's happening with the future of work. And today we're going to be talking about the future of work and school choice. Welcome, Allison. I'm glad to be here, Lynn. Good to we see you. We go way you. back. We go way, way back. And Alice and I have, we've taken a couple of road trips, a couple of tours of Utah and Austin, and we've had some fun together in Dallas, exploring what's happening in the biotech space and education. So welcome and uh, tell me what, what, what have you been working on lately, Allison? There are a lot of uh, discussions lately around um, school choice and what the future of school looks like and tracking children in terms of their behaviors in school and data privacy and the shift to competency-based, mastery-based, proficiency-based learning. There are all of these things bubbling up, but I think the piece that's missing is what the future economy is and the push towards creating children, recreating children as digital citizens that will be mm -hmm. part of a global workforce that will be mediated by artificial intelligence based on all the little data points that are being collected on them in the classroom, both about what they know and about how they think and about what kind of team members they are. And so I put together a little bit of a presentation on, I called it the collective intelligence experiment, <laughs> is this freedom and choice, meaning that really all of the stuff that we're doing in these digital spaces is intelligence, right? We show right. our intelligence, our cognitive intelligence, our emotional intelligence, and all of this is being hoovered up to create a simulation of us and then to make predictions about us. 
as future citizens of the world and as future workers, as future human capital. And, and one of the things we've done a lot of work around is the fact that moving forward, global investors are going to start to be making bets on human capital. And, and this is something that I think you know, we come from sort of different positionalities in the political ideology spectrum, but there's a lot of identity politics and culture war stuff going on. And I think one of the things that gets obscured is the fact that the future of work is uh, remote, like not just remote platform work, but literally remote through robots. And it's task rabbit work. These are gig, gig kinds of things. It's not stable. And I know a lot of, um, uh, your expertise has been counseling people who've been dislocated out of stable mm -hmm. jobs and trying to find new pathways for them. But this is this is a slide from the Center for the Future of Museums with the American Association of Museums from 2014. Elizabeth Merritt, who is a futurist, who was actually trained at the University of Houston Foresight Institute, she talks about the fact that the plan as of at least 2014 was to disassemble regular neighborhood schools and to break them down <coughs> to train children for a task rabbit economy, an on-demand task rabbit economy of gigs. And that her positionality in this paper was that museums would take up the project-based learning side because museums would <laughs> be set up to do uh, monitor hands-on learning while most of this hybrid model would be uh, through online platforms and like quote unquote personalized learning that people would come in person or maybe <laughs> even to remote virtual museums. And in that team setting, they would get additional data on the children. But all Wait, of it- so I'm gonna stop you for just a second because in thinking about it, just making it, drawing a local connection is those who have been working on the Perot Museum, for example, in Dallas, that they have been setting up the same idea of the future of work and doing it through children in the public schools and setting up this model, which would make, uh, it would not necessarily have learning be in the classroom, it would be learning everywhere and exactly. learning all throughout the community. Okay, so I just wanted to draw that local distinction for the listener. So, okay, keep going. Yeah, and I would say both Philadelphia and Dallas have been part of this project that came out of uh, the MacArthur Foundation called Collective Shift, and it's cities of LRNG. I guess that's a mm -hmm. short for our learning. mayor. Yeah, learning. Our mayor did that. Mayor, our previous mayor, Mayor Rawlings, did that with the city of learning and the badges. Yes. Okay. Yeah. City would be your classroom, which sounds kind of cool unless you realize that while you're learning in your alternative education environment, you're literally in the panopticon through QR code data being collected, through badges with metadata attached, potentially through you know, wearable technology, either measuring your emotional state or your activity states. And so while project-based learning, I think in many of the traditional education settings is sold as like a win-win, like what? who wouldn't like project-based learning? Once you interface it with the fact that you're doing this in a digital surveillance system, potentially. The group, it was the group projects. Surveillance. Yes. Yeah, and so project-based learning where they'd say, oh, well, this is what the real world looks like. And so we need our kids to have those transferable skills 
while they're in the classroom to then take out and learn how to work with each other. But what we, what we found is that's, that it really was an agenda behind it yeah. to normalize this. Okay, go ahead. Exactly, exactly. And so this is called out of school time learning or alternative learning. And they've really been bulking that up um, at, even as school neighborhood schools are defunded. They've been mm -hmm. expanding that. And, and what I would say is that people who are have traditionally accessed things like museums or cultural institutions for homeschooling or unschooling, as soon as we get choice vouchers that are attached to data, all of those traditionally sort of uh, open, unrestricted learning opportunities will then be, come under a new level of surveillance. And so, so that would be why they're pushing the virtual learning, the Texas Virtual Learning Commission, which is meeting for their final meeting tomorrow. That's why, uh, so I wanted to also draw that connection there because that's why there's a big push for the virtual learning that will eventually tie into the school choice and the future of work, which Allison is talking about. So, okay, that, that makes sense. So probably mm -hmm. the voucher you get, if you get a voucher, it's not going to cover a private school tuition. It no. will most likely cover some sort of largely online hybrid model. And we've talked in the past about stimuli as like the, the, the school is an online video game because that's cheap. It has limited labor costs. It has limited overhead costs. And then you'll dabble around with work-based learning placements or going to museums or going to sports institutions for these additional badges that will get the social data on you, like what kind of team member you are. And uh, in, in how well, you'll see, and, and you know, you'll see uh, that where the hybrid school in Dallas came to the virtual learning commission to to show what they're doing in Dallas with this metaverse campus that Allison is talking about, and you have an eyeball following the children and their avatar throughout this school within a video game. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So this has been a long time in coming. Um, I would say this future that they're planning is not only online platform work like call center work or online coding work. Literally, they're in the process of building remote robotics that are piloted by people in a different country. And so you put on a VR headset and these haptics like the game controllers and mm -hmm. you would control you know, a robot, and it sounds outlandish, only the United Nations has papers about saying, well, we're really excited for the day that we can have Mexican landscapers mow lawns in Texas from Mexico. And we're really excited when we can have Kenyan house cleaners clean hotel rooms uh, from Kenya in Norway. And so this future is already imagined, but these robots are still a bit clunky. This is Sanctuary AI that is based out of uh, the Vancouver area. Suzanne Gildert has developed these, but look at the pitch, right? It is safer, it is efficient, it is sustainable, right? Don't, you know, mm -hmm. you don't have to go to work. Look, you might catch a cold if you go to work in your body, just go to work in the robot. The robot never gets sick, right? And the robot- And you don't have to, you don't have to expend any wasteful energy and and uh, your carbon footprint will be less. Yeah, what you're at home, you won't get sick, and you'll be you'll be healthier, and the air will be cleaner. Right, efficient. That robot can work 24 hours a day with different pilots hopping in at different times. Right, and mm -hmm. and then, but all of that is going to be decided by AI looking at your ledger, looking at your skill transcript to see who's the best candidate for this gig, which could just be a small amount of time, and then who is the most compliant. And and to me, this idea that we're creating this future is actually very mentally um, 
challenging. Like to, 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 right. to wrap your mind around that you're going to live through a robot is something I think is, is profoundly inhuman. And so right yeah. now we have to condition the children to acquiesce, this coming generation to acquiesce and submit their agency into this machine. And that's going to cause a lot of mental problems. So they really want to track who is someone who's going to be stable and reliable in this type of work, which I think who will have the fortitude, who can endure, and then they'll offset with some of these programs that are more mental health driven so that they can they can uh, balance this, even though it is very unhealthy and, and, and harmful and isolating. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so I would say if people want more information on this, Richard Baldwin, he is an, an economist. He speaks about globalization 4.0 and globotics. So if you look up those keywords, Richard Baldwin and globalization 4.0, that is about the remote robotic labor with telepresence robots. And it's also very much linked to machine translation. So the, the, the hurdle that they have to get to is that if you're going to put a job out to a global workforce, that the language barrier be adjusted, whether that's happening through an augmented reality tablet that does automatic translation but but that's in process like that's moving very quickly um to completion okay okay well hold that thought we're going to take a break we'll come right back and talk more about it okay we're back with allison mcdowell we're talking about the future of work and how that ties in with education and the school choice movement so you were talking about richard uh tell me his name again richard what baldwin baldwin yes okay so keep going with that yeah, whatever well, we you want to touched talk. on sort of the the skills you would have to put your mind in a robot and go to work every day, right? For a different mm -hmm. job, you might have a gig for a week, a month. It's not a, you're not going to go work for a company for 20 years and have the stability like our, we had or our parents had. So mm -hmm. um, it, within this monitoring, mental health is really important. And I was just reminded recently of a paper we saw early on from 2016 um, that was talking about a DSM, like a Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders for mm -hmm. Achievement. So in this online manu uh, tr mastery transcript, the blockchain ledger, you will have all of these uh, skills badges, right, accumulating. And they're equating it literally to a mental disorder manual. They're like, this mental disorder manual is such a good model. We should have this for all of our learning, for this lifelong learning on the ledger. And the author of this piece, it was talking about um, Parchment, uh, which is an alternative credentialing platform. The, the author is Natalie Smolensky. And you and I actually had a little bit of barbecue with Natalie Smolensky at the the uh, Texas Blockchain Summit like introductory dinner, and she's she was the chair of the at the time of the Texas Blockchain Council and uh, came up in Learning Machine with MIT the Blockchain Transcript, uh, which mm -hmm. has now been sold out to Highland Credentials. So even though Greenlight is the blockchain operator right now in the Dallas space, there are many competitors that are coming in, and and there Natalie's more. Mm -hmm like clearly a major player. And this is just an image from a relationship map that I've made for Texas that has Natalie and it talks about um, her her work with the Blockchain Council, uh, with Highland, uh, their involvement with Hedera Hashgraph. Um, and that actually her background, uh, she, she began I think at the University of Michigan, but then went on to the European Graduate School. And her dissertation work was in the area of psychology and religion which is an interesting choice for someone who's who's operating in this blockchain identity space, but really they're interested in creating 
twins. They want our psychological profiles. And they've actually, Natalie has been working at a global level um, on, on a report about uh, blockchain in higher education development. So that was just- And it's so interesting that you came across that. The fact that we met her and then my friend Meg, who's uh, going to be on the next show, she sent me a, that, that Twitter uh, video of Natalie. She almost looked and sounded like a robot talking about this future. Uh, so just interesting that we had barbecue with her and in Texas in Austin that day. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, a Swiss it, trained it, cultural anthropologist with a focus on phenomenology and clinical psychology and psychiatry. Right. But she's working on this global report for the OECD, the organization for economic cooperation and development mm -hmm. that it's according to this, it spans 37 member countries and 80% of world trade and investment. Right. So these are the guiding forces behind this that most parents Again, while they're caught up in certain narratives, they don't know the other pieces that are going on behind the scenes. Right, because they think that this is the, the future innovation and their children will be gathering skills for this future. And so it'll, it will make them more marketable and thus, uh, you know, they'll have a good income to, for the future. But as you mentioned, you know, when I work with unemployed people, I've been seeing this trend of the, the piecemealed work where they do or they're freelance here they're doing uber there they're trying to piece together an income and it's fragmented and there's really no i mean they're they're thinking that they're going to eventually establish some sort of consistent work and be able to plant their their roots and and actually work for a company for a few years maybe get a retirement but you're saying that, that with this plan none of that exists in the there's future no if they no, no stability Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what does that do for our communities when people aren't able to plan, figure out where they're going to put down their roots, have a family, like society starts yeah. to fall apart. We're all independent agents, which is this complex adaptive systems that we're agents in their game, really. And so, so, I so you're saying it's like a simulation and we're yeah. all being fed into it. And they use the captive market of the public school students to feed this market because they need enough coders and enough participants in order to build out this metaverse, this future yeah. that build it that and planning. defend it because then Build there's the whole the cybersecurity. So we're, mm. we're building a, a virtual simulation that is inherently flawed and, 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 and a, a shadow of the actual version of our life, but it can be much more closely controlled um, for certain outcomes. So, you know, and, that, and I think that is why they talk so much about outcomes. And, and for those who don't understand this agenda, then you would think, oh, well, we want it. We want positive outcomes. We want students to, to perform well or we want them to, to do well or develop these skills or those skills. But what you're saying is the, these outcomes are, are for a, a world that you and I say we didn't give consent to. Exactly. And most people, I think if they knew what you are saying and what you and I know, they would reject it. And, and so that is part of our call to action is to say, when you see these things being introduced, question them, is this really what they are saying it is, or is this for some other purpose? And, and there are people all along the way who don't even know that they're part of, I mean, you and I talk about this a lot. Do they know what they're doing? Are they, are they aware of this or, you know, do they not know what we don't tell them? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah.
What do you say well, to that? Very much a planned workforce pipeline. And I think mm -hmm. on the conservative side, people imagine that a planned workforce is comes from more of a, a socialist leaning or sort of, but the reality is, is that the future of work that they imagine is the robots. That's not coming from the government. That's coming from the new model of remote work, right? All of these multinational companies are looking to um, essentially get at least on paper, according to skills badges, the, the best buy for their money for this temp, temp workers, right, at the lowest price. And so it is going to be a global workforce. It's going to be globally managed. And so, but it is the, 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 the government provides access and the training of the children into this future, but the future of work is literally being run by the global corporations, which again, don't, most of them, they're global, they're multinational. They don't have roots in any one country to so really- So it's not really the government. So I think that you're right because the, the right would say, oh, I want less government and less intervention and shrink government. But what happens is the it's really shifting in, into the hands of the corporate, the, government, the public dollars, shifting into the hands of of the corporations who then are planning this future right. of work. And, 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 and I see it at the chambers. The chambers like, of commerce yeah, exactly. are the, US the Chamber of commerce. Yes, exactly. And like, local hey, chamber. we don't want to feed our children's brains into robots, thank you very much. Like whether that's the government's enabling it through the schools initially or the companies who are going to use the AI to place people in these robot jobs, like that's not mm -hmm. a future that any of us, like I, I would assume most parents would agree to. Right. So, um, and it's interesting, the yeah. cell, because this is an image of a mastery transcript and it's coming through the mastery transcript consortium, which is the most elite private schools, right? And so what they do is they, they, they offer it in a private school setting and then they, then all of the underserved communities say, well, we want that too, right? Well, where's right. our mastery transcript, right? And so these wedges are essentially like soft skills that here's Joseph Smith an interesting name choice there, but you know, he right. fosters integrity and he leads through influence and he, he has, has a different vision than that. Joseph yeah. Smith. yeah. Well, wait, <laughs> look, hold that thought. So when we come back, I want to talk more about that. We'll be right back. Okay. So we're, we're back with Alison McDowell and uh, you were talking about Joseph Smith, a different Joseph Smith. So keep going on that. So, yeah, but it's all of these leadership skills, right? It's actually not, you know, how did you do in calculus or how did mm -hmm. you do in, you know, your literature class? It's these soft skills that are, and it's a radial badge. And I just want to show these social traits are actually impact investment markets, which is something I think people who are very focused on like the social emotional learning side of things or the critical race theory side, they're missing the point that the engineered behaviors is actually a global investment market coming right out of uh, Teachers College Columbia. Right. Well, We're looking at doing behavioral interventions on children and making having global investors invest in planned behavior change. Those are investors at the highest levels. Those are corporate investors in children. And they're social entrepreneurs like yes. the, the head of the like the head of the commit partnership and the head of the virtual learning commission. So Todd Williams and Rex Gore are both so social entrepreneurs They're social impact and social innovation entrepreneurs and and i think people have a difficult time understanding what that means but it, it requires all of this emotional data to feed this yes. model as well as the skills and the badges and the acceptance of this this future of work that they're pushing right. so okay keep the going. question is is that like on the one hand 
people might say, oh, there's a certain interest group that looks like this that's trying to brainwash my child into that. But what I would say is look at the infrastructure because at some point it could shift. And would you be okay with your child being conditioned with these technologies into the way you think is right to think? Like the, the bigger question is, should we be engineering children's minds, period? Either way. Being right. create these larger global markets in, in behavior management. And, and I would and say no. Yeah, and these are radiographs of, of the big ocean five traits. So this mm -hmm. is what you look like modeled as math in your behaviors. And then they're using these online, these token reward systems to train the children, just like pigeon pellets. You know, comply, behave, we reward you with points that you can then redeem for uh, privileges or benefits and then move on. And then this behaviorist training is gonna end up in something like learn card. And, and I know we're running short on time, but yeah, I definitely I want to cover learn, learn card because that's a big one. Okay, learn card, but yeah, mm -hmm. well, you could store your points on your phone with your digital twin. But here's just a bit with with again, this is the Heritage Foundation. This was back in the day. They're already pitching financial technology and choice. So this is from 2017. But mm -hmm. they've known like what the museums are up to that the plan is to disassemble. Um, create free agents, students as free agents in the free, quote unquote free market of skill collection. But that skill collection is happening under surveillance. And, and this is just a slide that, that touches on um, LRNG and um, Big Thought in Dallas, the after school mm -hmm. programs. When they get the vouchers, they're going to be set up to have interoperable data fed back into the system for the impact markets. And there we just and I know that there was there was a big push for out of seat time learning and that came through districts of innovation and that that was a piece that people didn't really talk about because they were taking the dangled carrots of the control of the calendar or teacher certification you could hire a master welder or whatever and so they didn't see that this was actually a way to get out of the seat time funding mechanism in Texas but it's for this very thing that you're talking about this this learning outside in the community and anytime any t any pit and what do you say anytime any place any path any pace learning through this this um this model and so and there's going to be the part that's going to be online because again they need to cut costs and they need the data so this is an image from stimuli with the floating satellite eyeball over the gamified child right and what right. does that mean if you're actually at your child is playing school in a game where they know that they're always under surveillance like this is a conditioning mechanism so it normalizes the eyeball watching you virtual or you know whether you can see it or not you're right your right, it's the telescreen. And so you're you're conditioned to that. So then when you go to check in at the library or the makerspace with your QR code and swipe, like to me, I think some people on the conservative side for choice might feel like, oh, this is empowering. I've got one over on the government. Look at me, I've got my money and now I'm an actor in the free market of education. Mm -hmm. But they're not realizing that these QR codes are all feeding the data back and aggregating it onto the digital profile of the child to be put like a like a puzzle piece into this this future workforce where literally like are you playing a game or are you learning they want to turn education into one giant game and 
Well, and they, they call it gamification, and you'll see that with a lot of the programs that are in the physical school buildings that the kids are using on devices. So some of this has been a, a slow boil, and it, it has normalized it, kind of like what we, the guy that said it was the digital doggy biscuits. Well, okay, so with Learn, so is that is that everything you wanted to say about Learn Card? And we've got a few more minutes, so I want to make sure that you get to uh, say you know some of your solutions and anything else that we haven't covered in the slides that you want it that we can uh, put in there too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just, I mostly want to convey to people, there is a larger picture. The larger picture is this remote work and using and building up a very granular profile of each potential worker, both their emotional state, because the world we're building is going to make people very emotionally fragile and their knowledge base, knowing that the knowledge is going to be over and over. You have to keep learning because the AI is always going to be outpacing human learning. So that's and, when and, you hear the term lifelong learning. It's not what the teachers really mean. It's what the this future that they're trying to impose on us means. So it's like you have to keep moving through this simulation, through your learning and your earning, right? Right. Yeah, and and so this this image is from learning. Uh, uh, learning is earning from Institute for the Future from 2016, I think. And this young Some woman crazy. is saying, like, so she is a, in. A, I, I'm assuming she's supposed to be in high school, and they send her uh, protein folding puzzles, and she's so good at doing these online protein folding puzzles as citizen science that she she gets paid and she goes gets credit for school and now she imagines that she's a scientist because she's doing these gamified puzzle folding things now you know is that the future that we want where there's custom puzzles delivered to children that they perform online for money and credit and then they imagine themselves as being trained as 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 i i mean i think that's up giving her false hope you know in terms of what her conditioning is if that's not real education and and it's very isolating it is very isolating i think that that is what i've realized is is the in looking at my own children and i know yours is do we want this kind of future for them i love to be able to use the technology of course we would be hypocritical to say that we're anti-technology we're not but that's a very different uh it, it's a very different use that you and i would think to use it for than what's being built around us with this this push for the twinning your virtual self your uh your physical self and those two somehow uh, being tracked and, and entered into this system that we don't even, most people don't even know that is being built around us. So any other suggestions and or closing thoughts that you want to leave us? I would just try to um, encourage people to look at the bigger picture because a mm -hmm. lot of this is about managing very strong emotions and a lot of it is about uh, teams and uh, self-identification that they want to reinforce um, who's the good yeah. guys and who are the bad guys and it's the opposing the yes a political mm -hmm. ideology and theory and I'm saying I think if we zoomed right. back and we, we 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 went all the way back to this idea of sustainable efficient work that's through a robot that you're doing cleaning work through a robot is that the future that we want to leave our children into and do conservatives like would do they want to lead no. the way into this because unknowingly they are walking this road right into the robot future that's right okay well we'll close on that so i know that you've you you really have done a good job of walking the walk as far as connecting with people in person and 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 um 
setting out your intentions for what you'd rather see and, and using more of a natural approach to life. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for your friendship and the work that you do, the extensive research. We can find you on wrenchinthegears.com for all of Allison's research. And thank you so much, Allison. So good thank to see you. Thank you, Lynn. All right, then. Oh, here, let me see. I'm going to hopefully that this is still working. I'm uh, switching over. I'm just doing it on one laptop tonight because my secondary monitor seems to be messing up my hard drive. But um, before we close out, I just I thought I would take a minute because I've, I've been spending uh, the last week or so making up a new map. Uh, and this one, as I mentioned on the lead in, I've been focused on this idea of uh, token engineering and the commons. And you know, with all of the discussions around crypto and regulation and fraud, um, I think it's really important that people start to examine um, the other aspect of blockchain. Um, and, and this map has a lot more to do with smart contracts and Ethereum-related products and the way the plan is to create this layer of logic, of automated code uh, arbitration code within a cyber physical system, right? The, the way we deal with one another in the world through these uh, coded, encoded contracts um, is really important. And the way in which that interfaces with the idea of democracy and uh, the commons and uh, remedying these broken systems, right? Remedying the broken system of wealth inequality, re remedying the broken system of corrupt politicians and uh, stolen elections and fraud. Um, but in fact, it's, it's going to do nothing of the sort and it's actually going to um, make us sort of pets of the AI, so to speak. Um, and so one of the, the places that I went, I, I've been looking a lot more into block science and I'm not sure, I think maybe Leo uh, first uh, put them on my radar, but uh, the founder of block science, which is the red dot here in the middle, uh, is, is Michael Zargam. And he actually was trained at the University of Pennsylvania here in Philadelphia where I'm at. Um, and he got his PhD in the engineering program um, and did a lot with simulation modeling. And uh, much of his, uh, uh, his PhD research was actually backed by uh, the, the, the military. So uh, the uh, Army Research Office and I believe the Navy as well. And then he, he, while he was doing this work at Penn, he was also a consultant on um, humans, networks, technology, and data. So, so Mr. Zargam and his colleagues are very deeply involved with the planning of new uh, tokenized economies and societies, really, um, and and how those interface with optimization and simulation modeling, um, and the future of work, because much of this involves Web three, and it involves um, uh, people doing remote work. Uh, task rabbit sort of jobs to build out this new digital empire. Um, and, and ultimately, this idea is that through these tokens, which are actually signals, some of which represent something that we may commonly understand as money, and some of them may be represented as something we today understand as votes, but it's going to get a lot murkier, is that, that they're going to try to steer society and, and I have a, I'm going to do another live in a bit that I, I have a whole playlist of like 45 different 
one to four minute clips that's really talking about this new uh, working model of of building out the quote unquote open source uh, metaverse as a digital public good and how that's going to solve all of our problems. And then in doing that work to build it out, how we build reputations and um, not only reputation scores, but also we, we participate in that digital twinning process and the social steering process. Um, so yeah, so I've been doing some stuff with block science and it, it all really goes back to blockchain. And, um, you know, it, it's framed around the commons, this token engineering common system uh, that we, uh, there are a lot of videos. I've been watching a lot of videos about algorithmic policy making and uh, th this token engineering commons ecosystem and then the common stack that is coming with that. And that's sort of the topic that uh, Leo and Jason and I took up in that two-part series about financing uh, the, the, these digital public goods and how that would all happen. So I've been spending a lot of time on this, and it, as as it happens, I ended up revisiting something called uh, this blockchain futures map guide that I had seen probably four or five years ago. This was developed by Institute of the Future, which is based in the Bay Area. It actually dates back to the 1960s. It was spun out of RAND, which is sort of a military defense think tank. Um, and in fact, I think the the uh, the uh, one of the founders of the Institute for the Future actually developed the Delphi approach, which is sort of like steering meetings to a predetermined end and giving you sort of a sense that you participated, even though your participation was meaningless because they'd already decided the outcome. Um, but looking at this blockchain futures document, which essentially was a map. Let me see if I can pull it up. It was a, a map that um, featured like a 10 year time horizon. Let me see if, yeah, I can zoom in a little bit more. From 2017 to 2027, 20, uh, sort of their plans for blockchain. And I had actually done a long Twitter thread, uh, sort of breaking out this document around uh, the, the health data space, that it's not just about, um, uh, you know, injections, what have you, like biometric health passports, but it's actually much more broad around wellness behaviors and social prescribing and managing people through their health data. Um, and so, you know, I was revisiting this again today and, you know, it was quite fascinating because when I was looking at it again, it's like stares you right in the face. The second the 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 uh, the second the, the opening section that talks about how they're going to phase this in i mean i've read it many times before but i didn't have the knowledge base to really see it for what it was they say that there are three phases okay um, and I'll just read this out loud uh, for people who might I'll probably do this as a podcast or the, the audio for it, um, that blockchain infrastructure will unfold over the next decade. Now, again, this started in 2017 in three phases of transformation. So they have three specific phases from new currency to new computing infrastructures to new ways of managing all kinds of commons. The commons idea is central. The the the, go the governance of the commons. That we need to shift from focusing solely on the money part and the central bank digital currency to broaden our understanding to the tokenization of everything, the securitization of everything as tokens, and then the moving of those tokens through social systems as a language that informs the AI. 
Okay, so the section goes on. The first phase, the phase of currency innovations is still well underway. Even as cryptocurrencies and shared ledgers create more flexible alternatives for handling all kinds of financial transactions within and across institutions, communities, and nation states, wide-ranging experiments are underway to tokenize non-financial value exchanges, all right? And um, the tokenization of these non-financial values, that's what we need to be paying attention to. Identity, information, ideology, and strategy will all take advantage of crypto tokens to reweave the fabric of our economy and society, right? So they're wrapping us up in the matrix, right? They're reweaving, even they're going to tokenize things even down to ideology, All right, so this is the first phase was the money phase, but they have much greater ambitions. Okay, and it continues. The second phase of the blockchain digital blockchain transformation is the build out of trusted distributed computing. As smart contracts insinuate themselves into blockchain transactions, they will form the basis of what is in effect a distributed protocol based global computer eventually displacing today's platform-based cloud computing. They will control the execution of blockchain transactions using immutable code that tracks the state of every exchange everywhere in the world at any given point in time. This is called stateful computing and it will be the secure foundation of a truly automated intelligent future. Okay, so when we're talking about digital passports, health passports, biometric passports. It is about pervasive computing. That is what this is about. This is about essentially creating an extended reality where data is overlaid onto the physical world and onto our relationships with one another. And that at any point in time that information is aggregated, it is interoperable, it is distributed. And, and the trust piece is always about blockchain. And it's always been about that. So my, my very strong and firm position on the blockchain has always been, ever since I found out they were putting children on blockchain to build social capital, was that this was never really meant to be about quick, fast money. It was always the control grid and the language of human Emotion, the language of human values, the language of human society that would be tracked through the token exchanges. And that's what's coming. So then the second phase is this distributed computing layer with the logic, with the trust. Okay. And that's, that's essentially like the Ethereum space that I'm, I'm going to be, I've been working on a lot lately. Um, and then the last paragraph says the result of the first two phases will be a new model for managing not just information commons, but the physical commons. As the Internet of Things is connected to the blockchain via smart contracts and tokens, via smart contracts and tokens control the flow of value through it, crowdsourced infrastructure will take advantage of peer to peer networks to build and govern everything from distributed energy grids to self-managing public services, okay? And so in this, you have to always read Govern now as cybernetics. It is the governance protocol is a steering mechanism. That is what the token economies are. They're a government surface to steer 
us and ultimately to steer us towards some optimized swarm intelligence. Um, and and I, I feel very strongly that this, this links in with um, Vernadsky and Talhar Desjardins and Huxley's idea that, and, you know, and the Foundation for Integrated Education and Kunst and Riser, that this, this world uh, brain, the global superorganism, is, is what they are orchestrating through the token exchanges. And so all of the people who are really focused on who did what and who were the bad guys and who defrauded whom and what the regulations are and who will get dig central bank digital currency first, they're not yet in the headspace of understanding the, the smart contract layer of logic and the token exchanges as ultimately steering mechanisms for collective intelligence. And that was the title of, of the talk that I did with Lynn, was this collective intelligence experiment. Now, I would say I'm, I'm in Philadelphia, I'm in the East, you know, we're a democratic city, we're very liberal, we have a left-leaning, you know, groups. During the lockdowns, the Libertarian Party gained a lot of traction. Like, and I'm, I'm sure it's probably not dissimilar in other large cities or other places that maybe considered themselves sort of liberal bastions. Uh, having a growing libertarian ethos uh, relating to freedom and liberty under this heading. Now, what's actually, I believe, is going to happen is that these same freedom-loving people are who especially many of them are aligned with the blockchain space are literally going to grab their tokens and march off into um, persistent pervasive computing in the digital twin land without even understanding what happened to them right and and so that's the challenge of the narrative is that on the one hand you have some people um, in the resistance space who you know are, are, are very strong proponents of crypto um, or or web3 technologies uh, but but this is the trap. This is the trap, and it, it feels very much like the, the, the conservatives and the libertarians are going to be on the bleeding edge of taking their stuff from the government and then walking off into the great beyond, which is going to be off the edge of Web three and into the matrix. And 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 they do because they don't actually understand what the story is. And so this idea again, three phases: currency innovation distributed computing with a trust automated logic layer and bringing those together to govern the uh, information commons and the physical commons. And I will just say regarding the information commons today, um, I've been backing up my talks to the archive.org, which is connected to the Wayback Machine. Um, and you know, it doesn't really get many views, but I thought it's a good place and also people can download them because I'm not into making money on my content. You know, I just want to put it out and um, share it with people and make it have a, an extra backup in case something happens. Um, and so as it turns out, I guess the IEEE screen record that I did and I posted it there as a backup, they, they took it down as a copyright claim and erased all of the like the 30 files that I put, like they they locked my account. There was no notice. They didn't actually say. The only way I, I knew was that I went back to the link I'd included in my blog. This is the IEEE uh, Metaverse Congress where I was the only non-panelist participant um, in there asking some pretty pointed questions about their plans to essentially create a new living simulation. Um, you know, and... And so that's this space, right? They're talking about governing the commons in some uh, democratic way, in some just way. But these are the same people who would literally disappear you with no notice. And that's the world that we're going to be living in is 
they talk a good game. They talk a good game about like making the world a better place, but ultimately it's conditional on demand. And it's, it is the 1984, right? The memory hole. If you run afoul, like one misstep, all right? And, and I don't even think that that webinar was copyrighted. Like that, that webinar wasn't copyrighted. I mean, if anything, my intellectual property of adding all of my comments, that was my intellectual property. But they, they disappeared that because they don't actually want regular people to know what's happening. And they don't want to know, they want, don't want regular people to know about the Institute for Electrical and Electronics Engineers because they'd much rather have people focused on Klaus Schwab. They'd much rather have people focused in a, a very obscure fairy tale of what this is rather than the nuts and bolts of how it's actually happening. And, you know, I'm just going to put a call out again. I keep begging people, like, we need to be a lot clearer about the particulars of decentralized finance, regenerative finance, um, how this presents, how it's going to interface with de uh, the, the governance layer with cybernetics and democracy. And I know like Sebs has been doing some work in this area and it's much appreciated. And I know Leo is continuing to do some um, research into the agricultural sector phase and you know i'm going to have a follow-up that's that you know I, I it's such a deep dive it's hard to know like when to stop and take your breath and share it back out but this token economics and and how it relates to tucson and my time in arizona is is going to be coming but we need more people and listen i'm not a coder i'm not somebody i i hated math was my hardest subject i never took physics like math and science i'm an art history person but i'm stepping it up to figure these things out because it matters and actually having clarity around the story matters because you know I'm just so glad that I'm off social media because occasionally like I'll poke into Twitter and look like the, you know some of the people in the maps all they had was a Twitter page and I'll just look at what's out there and it's garbage it's polarizing garbage I mean large sections of it like people are so lost in their reactive emotionality that they can't actually like look with any clarity about what's happening and that's what we need we need people with like take a deep breath invest of yourself to have your own knowledge base of what this is and then share it out share it out so and again you know i'll, I'll just say thanks to people who've been also submitting some things to the blog for um looking around the labyrinth we have an, a new one on the blog from moab utah which is which is awesome so I'm just going to go back to this little map here. Uh, these were also from uh, the uh, the uh, map itself. So these were the this this went along with the phases. So currency, the bullet points under the currency innovation was low friction financial transactions. Okay, so yeah, that's that's in the process, right? Wallets for the unbanked. Now that's very central to the work that I had done on the conditional cash transfer in Mexico, and 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 also Leo's work with Cello and um, the refugees is getting the digital identity and getting like leapfrogging right the global south into the Web three world because they they need to get the people onto blockchain so that they can. Um, take advantage of them both for their human capital assets and then also their natural assets that are that are um, that they're embedded in their 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 um, the lands and the communities in which they are situated are going to be valuable for these natural asset classes so the wallets are important uh, community tokens so they want community wallets right they want to frame this again the swing back is going to be from jerky libertarians to uh you know social justice uh progressives right oh we can use these this is just a tool right it's just a tool we'll we'll use our tokens for the community right 
We've got social scores right here. Now I would say again, these social scores are not the Chinese social credit score. In fact, many of the social scoring is going to be about reputation modeling in the remote workspace, right? You build up, it's not just about carbon trading, it's not just about managing your purchases. Literally, probably the more important part is that you have a digital identity and when you log in to do your education work, when you log in to demonstrate compliance with your health protocol, when you log in to do your gig jobs on this platform labor, you are building a reputation that others will judge you by in the virtual world. And that's how it works. So it's not going to be just punitive, right? They're going to say, do you want to live in this new world? Then you, we need to know who you are. We need to know that. And that's your social score. And then the insurance, again, Leo has focused a lot on the insurance, especially agricultural, micro-credentials that has everything to do with what I just said about school choice and digital vouchers, health scoring, again, that's the, the Medicare for all and the single payer that when we get that, that's coming with your electronic health records from Zeke Emanuel and um, pulling it all together for your medical digital twin and universal basic income. So these are all things that we can now see are well underway. I think if you'd ask a lot of people about this mm, two, three years ago, most people would have no clue. But, but this has ramped up so quickly in the last couple years. Okay, so then the second phase is the computing part. Um, so the, the bullet points for this are uh, crowd computing and storage, on-demand employment, self-correcting production, automated innovation, and smart profiles for health services. So I would say like the crowd computing um, and storage, this is, this is really important. Filecoin I think is in this interplanetary file system, you know, is, is like on the leading edge of that. They have to figure out where to put all the data. They need the data and they need the computation. I have concerns about the way in which of in vivo deployments of both possible computing and storage applications in, you know, maybe not necessarily people for a while, but they've definitely already done DNA data storage in bacteria. Um, and that's coming and that's something that actually the IEEE, the incoming president, he, he said he didn't know anything about that. Um, even though there's numerous articles about it over the past year um, and his expertise is in data storage. So he, he seemed very shocked that I would ask about in vivo uses of uh, DNA data storage. And yet it's already that that horse is already out of the barn. Um, On-demand employment, that's again, the remote work based on your reputation, based on AI sorting. Um, production, that's the supply chain. Automated innovation, again, optimization through digital twinning, not just of people, but of entire societies and of machines and of human machine collaborations. And then the health services. And then I'll just close up um, lastly um, with the commons. Governance algorithms. So this is something that I'm going to go into in more detail about these planned token economies, uh, testable governance algorithms, self-managing utilities, uh, cooperative ownership, so there you go, that's the circular economy, that's the sharing economy, uh, coordinated allocation, self-owning devices, uh, transparent budgeting for communities, crowdsourced legislation, and values coded in market incentives. So this is a future where there is no nation state anymore. Now, you know, again, I, I don't consider myself a nationalist per se, uh, but I think the globalization, the globalist framing, I think it kind of obscures the fact that the globalists are really about Web3. 
Like the metaverse smart contract layer, that is globalization 4.0. And it's a little bit different than sort of the, you know, people getting their, um, you know, people making the baddies out to be the globalists, right? Like there's some super villain, right? Literally the globalist concern that we should all be addressing is the smart contract layer. That is the next phase of globalization. That is your testable governance algorithms, your resource allocation, um, the the cooperative ownerships. We are going to, the, the plan is that we will be digital twins and we will be di digital citizens um, and, and our embodiment in a particular geography is going to sort of be relegated to your geolocation data for the social impact finance deals they're gonna like base off of your activities. Like they want to de disembody us as we are uh, embodying the, allowing, we are using our data to allow the robots to become embodied, the AI to become embodied through humanoid robotics, even as we are losing ourselves to the cloud. Um, so I'll, you know, I guess, I guess that's it. Uh, the one last thing I, I do want to, I added this bit over on the map today. It's, uh, you know, remember Glenn Weil, uh, Microsoft's Octopest, uh, and he, uh, he, his, he has a colleague, Divya Siddharth. They're both at Microsoft. And uh, Divya has been working on something called the Meta Governance Project, which is a governance layer for the internet. And I know a lot of us have been hearing about these sign-ons for uh, the, for the internet, and and you know because the internet really is the new empire, the new world. Um, but one of the the people, you know, th there there are a number of principal investigators for this project, and I'm just looking. This woman that I added today, her name is uh, Primavera Di Filippi, and she's at the uh, the Berkman uh, Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard, but she's she's based in Europe in in Paris, and her focus is blockchain law and global governance. And but she also considers herself an artist. Uh, well, and she's part of the Creative Commons and the Peer to Peer Foundation. But it says here in her bio uh, from the Berkman Klein Center, as an artist, uh, Primavera Di Filippi. Uh, she produces mechanical algorithms that instantiate her legal research into the physical world. So she makes things with these block to illustrate the blockchain laws. And one of the things that she was promoting is this idea of a plantoid, a blockchain-based life form. So this is the website for this plantoid, which is, is a blockchain-based life form. And it's saying that, that these plantoids um, have a physical body that's an electromechanical contraption that simulates the appearance of a plant. And when it enters into contact with organisms in the physical world, like people who might display some form of appreciation to it, uh, usually by sending it a small donation, the plantoid might awaken into a dance of music and lights animated by a mixture of mechanical greed and gratitude. Uh, her website says that the spirit of the plantoid, its soul only subsists in the digital world and is represented by an autonomous software agent that lives on the blockchain. This is what constitutes the actual soul of the plantoid since the physical body is a means to connect its inner logic with creatures in the physical world. That, that the goal of the plantoid is to reproduce itself um, and it does that by enticing the curiosity of people it encounters with its physical beauty and lures them into feeding it with some cryptographic money to awaken it and contribute to its ongoing reproduction. Um, and the, the contributions are Bitcoin 
And it says, once a plantoid has proven its worth by accumulating a sufficient quantity of Bitcoin, it will enter into the reproductive phase, initiating a procedure whereby it will look for mates, humans, willing to help it in the process of reproducing. So it will essentially set up a task and hire an artist to make an offspring for this thing. Now, I mean, this is this is real. This is these these are very serious people who are coming up with with ideas that, in many respects, feel rather occult. You know, and we're we're going back to the the soul bound token paper. You know that that was a name that was chosen with some intention, right? And you know, I spent some more time looking into uh, Ethereum. You know, this that's the the basis for the smart contracts and um, Ethereum Foundation. They, they provided a lot of money to a DAO, a decentralized organi uh, autonomous organization, to help it develop into this uh, ETH 2.0, the, the the, this uh, merge from the proof of work to the proof of stake to, to fund projects that would help facilitate that transition to make uh, the smart contract layer more scalable. And that entity was actually called Moloch, Moloch Ventures. And, and they, they, they kept referencing the God of coordination, that these tokens aren't about greed as much as they are about, well, potentially leveraging people's greed, but in terms of tagging them and swarming them and steering them to a certain end that we are not having agency over. And evidently this Moloch um, Dow was inspired by um, their, Allen Ginsberg had an essay about uh, meditations on Moloch. And then th that poem was included in an essay by Scott Alexander in 2014. And somehow that was that was the inspiration for this DAO that is facilitating the merge. And but it's, this isn't just, you know, some goofy punk rock people in the garage, goth people who are like having a funny joke, you know, uh, naming their their business venture after you know, a character in the Hebrew Bible, a bullheaded idol of child sacrifice. You know, this is a very serious business and, and it, it plays a role because these smart contracts, that's what Learn Card was behind Lynn the whole time, um, this, this Learn Card project. So I'm going to spend a lot more a lot more time on looking at Ethereum and consensus and Gitcoin grants and the commons and all of this, this swarming behaviors. And, you know, I've talked a lot about Ocean Protocol before, this these AI data marketplaces. And you know what? I'm going to see maybe I had one clip that I added today and I'm just looking for it. It was about, oh, Dow Stack. So maybe, maybe I'll, let me see if I included, oh, I didn't include the video. That's going to have to wait. It's going to have to wait for next time. So, okay. Well, hopefully people are, are still along with us today and um, you found this interesting. And, you know, I appreciate everyone who's hanging out on a, <laughs> on a Friday night with me looking at the tokenized commons. I, I'll, I'll just finish up now. All right. Bye-bye, everybody.